Hi, welcome back to another edition of Video Drone. I'm Fraser. I'm Craig. Uh, and this time round, we're going to high school. Indeed, so <laughs> back to school. Yeah. Um, for a back to school special. We are. Uh, we've been sort of kicking around this sort of themed idea for a while. Uh, we've finally sort of settled on a few films. As mm-hmm. it turns out, it's all a bit uh, Japan-centric. <laughs> but uh, this time round, we'll be looking at Takashi Miike's Lesson of Evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Lester's Class of 84. Mm-hmm. And also uh, a totally bonkers film called Comedy High, The Movie. And I've never heard of this one before and we'll have fun talking about that. So, uh, <laughs> right, we'll best get started with Lesson of Evil, I think, Craig. Indeed, yeah. Cool. First up this week is Takashi Miki's Lesson of Evil mm-hmm. uh, from 2012, Japanese obviously. First thing that popped up in this film, the Toho logo. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Don't own many uh, Toho movies in HD. Yeah. But it's good. Seven Samurai, Akira, a couple of others. <laughs> so, um, Lesson of Evil, horror mm. thriller I suppose. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, definitely. Um, doesn't make any bones about it really. Mm-hmm. Tell us what it's about, Craig. Bit of a summary for you. Cool and charismatic English teacher Seiji Hazumi is popular with students and teachers alike. However, his charming smile has merely a facade, and no one could predict what he has in store for his students. Mm. Yeah. Bit like the start of this film. Exactly. Starts off with a, well, what I think you were saying before is an original German version of Mac the Knife. Yeah. So it's Mac the Knife in German, mm-hmm. slowed down. Yeah. As is the modern way for all the adverts on telly, slowed down acoustic <laughs> versions of that. old songs. I know, yeah, I hate it as well. Um, so yeah, it starts off like that, and that, that mm-hmm. sort of it starts off with a, what is essentially a flashback, mm-hmm. uh, but it does sort of misstep there, sort of puts you on the wrong foot as, as to where, which way the film's going to go. Uh, before we get into the plot too much, let's let's talk a little bit, a little bit about Takashi Miike himself. Fair enough. Um, let's talk a bit about his history. He's probably one of the most versatile directors working today mm-hmm. in Japan or anywhere else. Um, he started off in the kind of V cinema boom of the nineteen nineties, where you know there was some decent money being thrown at director video films in Japan. Mm-hmm. There was a and massive people, market for that in Japan. Exactly. Not so much yeah. out of Japan, but yeah. over there, huge. Yeah, people think a director video is like being a terrible thing over here, whereas yeah. over there it was it was actually quite a big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, big decent movies. Tend to be B movies though. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is where he kind of came in uh, to his own because he liked to make um, sort of you know shockers, exploitation films, yakuza films, things mm-hmm. like that. And he, but he's an incredibly versatile director. He's moved away from that sort of stuff and done a wide variety of like genres. I mean, anything you can think of, he's made. The thing is that with Takashi Miike, what he's most known for is just the amount, the volume of his work. Mm. Three or four films a year, not yes. a problem for him. Absolutely. I mean, last time I looked on uh, IMDb, I think he'd made ninety nine movies today. Ninety nine. That's a lot. And I think I've maybe seen like I don't know thirty something of his films, yeah. or something like that. So there's a lot to still check out of his back catalogue. Definitely. I mean, majority of them these days do tend to get released in the West, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that's just gone under the... Yeah. Uh, just just hasn't... Just passed, passed the West by. Absolutely. But but since I mean, Audition came out, mm-hmm. the catalogue's gone back a bit, but then yes. everything else that's been released since then, usually Absolutely. nine times out of ten would probably get a release you somewhere. You see Aud- Audition's his most famous film, probably? Um, it was the one Between that, that well... 
Having said that, that got a wide release in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, but so did uh, 13 Assassins. That's right, yeah, yeah which is more recent. Yeah, which is a lot yeah. more recent, but probably people just see it as a samurai film, don't realise who directed it. Yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. I mean, um, he's he's made everything from samurai films to uh, to um, sort of high school uh, set like uh, comedies, um, musicals, um, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> video game adaptations, yeah. all sorts of things. Um, and, you know, this was kind of considered a bit of a return to like his roots. Lesson like. of evil, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because of the fact that um, you know he'd made a lot of very different types of movies, mid kids movies, comedies, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. In the end, not room. always successful, but no, always worth a watch, though. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I would say he's probably got like um, you know, in terms of like directors that I like and follow, mm-hmm. he's probably got one of the highest success rates for me. When I watch one of his films, I know I'm going to enjoy it. Some of them I'm going to enjoy more than others, yeah. but I'm always going to enjoy them. I can honestly say I've never watched a Mika film that I've not at least liked. Uh-huh. You know, anyway. Um, getting back to uh, Last of Evil, though. We, we started to talk about uh, the fact it begins with Mac the Knife. Yeah, when that's a sort of recurring motif through the film. Although it doesn't, mm-hmm. I mean, other than the lyrics of the song, mm-hmm. it doesn't... We'll I mean, get into it a little bit later once yeah, we talk about Yeah, I plot. suppose it doesn't really... Does it have any bearings? Is it a bit of a... Sort of leads you down the down the garden path a bit, do you think? Or I mean, yeah, it, it does well, reflect I think on by the, the plot. I think by the time you're aware that it is Mac the Knife, because when I first started off watching it and it was in German, I thought this song sounds really you familiar. Kn- you knew the tune, but you just couldn't but figure I, it out. But yeah. yeah, but later on we get it in in English and um, or sorry, rather you get it in Germany and subtitled. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it is subtitled at the beginning. Um, then I started to realise that there was links to to the sort of plot. I think that mm-hmm. later on. Once you know what the song is, and we'll, and like we'll get to that later because it gets into spoilery territory, um, that it's just kind of fits the sort of theme and the what the film's about, mm-hmm. because as you might have guessed, you know Seiji, the the main character, the teacher, mm-hmm. you know he's not exactly one hundred percent sane. He's a complete sociopath, really. <laughs> exactly. And so the, the film follows him through his sort of mad plot. Yes. His kind of plan. Do you only, like. do, there's a plan, but yeah. did, I, did I miss something? What is the reasoning behind this? Other well, this than... is the thing. A lot of the summaries for the film, including like the kind of box and like summaries on IMDb, mm-hmm. say a definitive reason for his plan. But I don't think it's mentioned in the film. No, I think that perhaps is maybe is a different translation, a different territory or something. But I don't actually think it says that particular reason. Yeah. For why he's doing what he's doing. Uh huh. Because there's no, although there is flashbacks mm-hmm. which see him sort of as a, as a youngster, mm-hmm. um, as a sort of somebody at uh, university age. Yeah. Um, but there's no sort of like, oh, well, this happened to him, or that happened to him, or yeah. you know what I mean. There's no but, catalyst to say yeah, this is why he became why he a turns out and he just is like there would be in a lot of these types of movies. Yeah. You know what? One thing I forgot about this film. I mean, mm-hmm. the film is very violent, but mm-hmm. I mean, how many people do you think are killed in this film? Dozens. Oh, quite a lot. I mean, um, dozens of. It's almost like a Schwarzenegger film. <laughs> yes, if you know what I mean. <laughs> quite possibly. A, a body count. And again, we'll try not to get too much of that because we haven't talked about a lot of the plot no, before no, we get no. into the because that is the ending where there's a big, um, there's a little big body count. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's just occurred to us that. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point though. Um, so we know pretty soon in the film that something's off about Hasumi. I mean, yeah. there's a little, as as you mentioned before, there's a little scene at the beginning. It kind of, um, you know, maybe sort of like subverts your expectations a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because at the beginning, we're watching something from the past, but it doesn't say that it's the past. Then it no. just starts, and then the film just starts up. 
So and I actually kind of guessed at the beginning that it was like a kind of um, prologue and it was set in the past, but it doesn't actually say that. No. But when we get to the present time, like we said before, it follows Susumi as the main character. He's the protagonist and the antagonist as well. Mm-hmm. And the teachers love him and the kids love him. Mm-hmm. He's like the, All he's teachers the... except one love him, which will... Well, yeah, be. exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a character called Suri. Um, Who's the physics teacher. He's a physics teacher. He? He's, yeah. a, he's a bit of an odd duck. He's kind of... Uh... <laughs> That's all he does all the time for no apparent reason. <laughs> when, he, when he's not happy, he just yeah. goes, when he does that to students. And, <laughs> yeah, he's just everybody. a very strange guy. Yeah. But um, so Seiji uh, Hasumi, um, he's really like charismatic and, and everyone likes him, but Suri doesn't. Mm-hmm. And Suri like um, has actually gone to the lengths of sussing out his background and investigating. Yeah. And he tells, uh, I think it's is it Kesuke, the That's one of the main one, kids. One of the kids. Yeah. He tells him that um, he's like doesn't give not, too much away though, doesn't no, he? No. He tells him that he's been investigating. He's looked into some things mm. that happened at previous schools and, and when he was abroad. Drops a few hints, doesn't he? Exactly. Um, and he also says. Kind of reveals a lot about himself, saying that he's like a really, he really doesn't like himself very much. He's like a self-loathing person. Uh-huh. And That's when he Suri, sees, the yes, teacher, yes, yeah. uh-huh. and when um, when he sees somebody who's really successful and is do does really well, and everyone likes him, he sort of he basically like feels really bad about himself. Mm-hmm. But he says in Seiji's case, I don't feel that way. There's something weird about that. Yeah. I don't like him. <laughs> it's bizarre. bizarre. He's, he's a very strange character. Um, but anyway, um, so we know pretty soon that something's off about him. And like we said, Mika takes the interesting path of making him the central focus. Yeah, so there's... So we get to see all of the really horrible things he does. Well, so he's blackmailing people, mm-hmm. killing people, and it's like... It's... Sleeping with an underage girl. Yeah. Well, who he sort of kind of blackmails as well. Exactly, yeah. It's yeah. just, oh, it's, it's, so he's it's really dark. It's a very dark film, and he's like a thoroughly unpleasant character. Uh-huh. So you see the whole film like painted through his like well, seen through his it's seen, it's seen through his really warped eyes. Um, and there is a good deal of backstory and character development for him. Mm. But like you said, there's not something to say. This was the moment that he Maybe became a killer. That's one of the things that I, because also with this film, it's 129 minutes mm-hmm. running time. Yeah, it's a long film, and then for for ha- to have everything that happens in the film, and it's. Well, I wouldn't say it's a slog because it does. I think you said it. You don't. You're not clock watching on this film. Yeah, it's like, my mind didn't wander. No, at all. No, I thought no. it was well paced. But because it didn't have enough, uh, I wouldn't say cohesion's the word, but it's just enough to glue it together. Yeah. You know, like most of these films, well, oh, there's a oh well, this happened to little Billy, and he turned out to be a complete psychopath. And you're not given that. I mean, it's not even as if there's bits there where you can sort of join the dots, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Either that, or it's just gone over the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um. So maybe that's something that sort of held it back a bit, a little bit for me, and the running time as well. But mm-hmm. uh, boy, when it kicks off, it kicks off. It certainly does. I mean, um, going back to what we were talking about Mac the Knife, um, the song fits well because, like, the lyrics of the song, there's that that particular lyric I'm thinking of is the one where um, it talks about uh, the shark. how the sh- the shark and yeah. how the shark's teeth are its weapon, and you can see them in plain sight in his face, uh-huh. in his jaws, but. Mac keeps his, his knife out of sight. Uh-huh. And only when he wants to kill you and he strikes when it's too late yeah. will you know about it, basically. It's like about his, the dead, deadly nature of Maki and, and Seiji are similar. Because in the film, every time somebody gets invited to the, to the top of the school up, up on the roof, you think, well, what's going to happen? <laughs> someone's going someone's gonna to go on. But so, it, getting back to the finale, yeah, it's really, really like. It's um, quite protracted violent. as well, isn't it? Very much so. I mean, 
because the f- entire final reel is pretty much a massacre, like mm-hmm. a high school massacre, which I can imagine made this film popular in America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's really brutal with characters getting picked off like every few seconds for like a good chunk of the the last kind of reel of the film. And there's no messing with this guy; he double taps. Oh yeah, he <laughs> 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 certainly does. <laughs> Quite frequently. But it's um, there's only a couple of really brief let let ups in tension for character stuff and the characters like the kind of what would be the main characters if you like mm-hmm. trying to escape. Yeah. But who are the, the thing is, we're saying the main characters. The, there are some kids who get a lot of screen time as well. Says you are kind of like the main students. Yeah. But it's often, especially in the final reel, subverts your expectations about who's going to live and who's going to die. Mm. You think you know, in a few moments, right? He's going to get away. He's going to find. Seiji out, he's going to defeat Seiji, but in actual fact, there's a few bits where your hopes are like really dashed, and there's like some awful bits where your hopes are just stamped on. Yeah. And it's like, oh no, I can't no, believe no. they did that. that. Yeah. And there's some like nasty bits in and that, especially this bit where it looks like a kid's going to be a hero. Yeah, in a kind and that's of been foreshadowed already gets... earlier in the film, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. But we won't, um, we won't tell you too much about that because it is worth mm-hmm. taking out to have a watch. The violence, though. Um, Although it's really bloody and quite, sh- and like maybe if you are not used to this so kind some of type it's pretty of exploitation, worm and juice and sword and yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're not used to this type of film, you might find it a little bit squirm and juicing. Well, but it's an eighteen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that in this day and age, that's something to kind of behold, really, because you know, in an age where, you know, like um, Hollywood's like slapping fifteens and everything, that's ultra violent because mm-hmm. it's not got any sex or drugs or whatever in it. Um, it's kind of. I mean, it tends to be more foreign films, as we were talking about earlier before. We the just mentioned it, yeah. But they're like films. Raid films now. And now Deadpool um, can get. I'm not. I've seen Deadpool, but I've heard mm-hmm. that that's supposed to be pretty violent. That's a f- yeah. fifteen. Um, there's some pretty close. To, in there's a lot of close to the bone like uh, jokes about other things in that as well. Yeah. That uh, they they took that up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we're going going back to like the uh, the kind of final reel and the massacre and everything. Even though it's really ultra violent, you're seeing people getting splattered all over the walls with a shotgun. Mm. After a while, after about something like the forty something student gets killed, <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know how many of no, those, no, but no, it's but a, lot. a lot. Um, it does start to get a little bit numbing. It does yeah. And I don't know if that was Mika's intention, maybe. Quite possibly. Possibly. Quite I possibly. Mean, we we were talking about this before we began the um, podcast, but he likes to have endings that subvert your expectations. He likes to sometimes have endings that kind of. Raise the middle finger to critics. He or, doesn't like to be pigeonholed and or put pull, in a pulls the rug from under you. Yeah, under your exactly. Feet. And I would yeah. say this one well, is like, re- yeah. At the end, I went really. Yeah, exactly. Uh, definitely, definitely. Um, talking about um, another point that we also mentioned before we started to record, and um, there's a bit of a Cronenberg esque moment in which the I'd film totally well. forgotten until you pointed it out a minute ago. Yeah. Um, without like being getting too much into spoilers, he says he previously had a colleague. He was his partner in crime. Quite literally a partner in crime, yeah. Yeah, um, and like some of his backstory, which is revealed in like flashback, shows him kind of basically uh, deciding to get rid of this uh, this kind of in accomplice. In a spectacularly nasty fashion. Indeed. Um, and in the finale, when he's killing all the students, his gun kind of transforms into like a fleshy kind of like bioweapon some with sort an of Max eye Ren type thing going yeah, on. It's yeah, it's like Max Ren's gun in video yeah. drum. It has an eye in it and it starts to talk to him in, in his kind of accomplice's voice. Mm-hmm. And there's in this final scene. There's also quite a bit of black humor as well, which is another mega trademark. Yeah, he likes to make you like laugh uncomfortably at things or think, "Should I really be laughing at this?" Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, but in that scene, that kind of recalled Videodrome a lot, definitely, because of the fact that you know it's like it's kind of almost seems like it's like 
part of my kind of fuse to a sand, or maybe that's made out of something living. Or we um, should say old Cronenberg. Yes, exactly, yes. old Cronenberg. <laughs> he's quite, he's a bit more diverse these days. Yeah. He's moved away from body horror a little bit, yeah, hasn't he? Yeah. But um, I still enjoy his films, though. No, he's oh, a, no, definitely. Like Mika, he's another very bankable director. Maybe yeah. we should do some Cronenberg at some point. We should do, actually, yeah. yeah Especially with the name of the podcast. <laughs> Well, yeah. I was thinking when we see when we visited the end of the podcast, I wasn't really thinking that so much. I was thinking about like, you know, like sort of. I was I was thinking about like um, a drone and like a robot, and then it just kind of came together in that way. Yeah. I mean, then then I thought about that afterwards. I thought, all oh, right, people Don't... will probably think it's based on that. Yeah. These things happen. <laughs> right, we'll wrap that one up there. We'll move Indeed. on to where. Uh, Cromartie High. So, Cromartie High, the movie. Mm-hmm. Or comedy high school, um, two thousand and five Japanese film directed by Yuda Yamaguchi. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, I've got my own plot synopsis, but I think Craig will be able to do this one better. <laughs> <laughs> do you want so, me to have a go, and then do you want to have a go? <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you. No, you uh, go for it. So Kamiyama is a new arrival at the bizarre Cromarty High School, a crazy place full of punks and juvenile delinquents, many of whom look like yakuza. Kamiyama only transferred to this place because he made a promise to a friend. However, he soon decides he's going to make Cromartie a better place and make a difference. The task at hand might be a bit more difficult than he imagined. Yeah. Right, <laughs> this is what I'll put. Bonkers going on at a disreputable Japanese high school where even the gangs and aliens can't get a foothold. <laughs> <laughs> this, so, um, um, so Cromartie High is uh, it's based on a really... Uh, a really uh, Bizarre uh, gag manga um, right. called Forging Valiantly Ahead Cromartie High School by a, by a manga author called Eiji Nonoka. Now, um, the, the manga and the anime adaptation that they made um, are basically like loads of little short gag stories. Right. So, in the movie, they, they opt for like kind of maybe like 20, so, or 20 odd minutes or so plot lines and then they kind of go on to a new one. Whereas the, uh, the format of like the source material was kind of like, you know, a little short kind of stories um and obviously in any series you get more of a chance to kind of spend time with characters and get a, you know more of a sort of um sense of like the world it's in and although it's an out and out comedy and you know plot isn't too important it's just loads of gags and things the movie is, would have been nice <laughs> the movie it does kind of suffer from the fact that if you're not familiar with the source material it's just loads of things thrown at you. Yeah. And I think you kind of felt that way. I yeah. mean, I'm a bit more familiar with the source material. Yeah. I mean, the, the 17 volumes of the manga, like 17 books worth, most manga runs in like a, a monthly or weekly magazine. Right, so it's only a few pages. Well, most of, I mean, a lot of them can be like 20-odd, 30-odd pages a month or something. Oh, right. But yeah. Cromartie's uh, format was like, you know, multiple short stories within a chapter. Uh-huh. So it was kind of like, you know, you had like a couple of little sort of short tales a month. Right. If you like. So it's, it's a little bit different. But basically, um, it's it's sketches pretty much, and that's what they did in the anime adaptation. They had like five minute episodes, and they're all about the inhabitants of Cromartie. It it's intended as like a parody of like seventies um, and eighties juvenile delinquent manga. Right. So like a lot of the com a lot, a lot of the manga or, or comics, if you like, um, if you're not familiar with that term, uh, coming out of Japan in in like the seventies and eighties were about punks and about like uh, you know sort of. Juvenile delinquents like uh, causing havoc, uh-huh. and quite often about them sort of battling like rival school gangs and things like that. 
Um, and that's like it's basically a parody of that sort of stuff. There's we've got a lot of different characters in this film. So Kamiyama is like the main character, and he's pretty much the only. He's kind of like the straight man, really, isn't he? Uh, to a degree. To a degree. I mean, he's the straightest man you're gonna get. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it, this is so steeped in Japanese culture. This film, mm-hmm. you've really got to be on your toes to know about this. Yeah. I mean, at one point, uh, for any Godzilla fans or mm-hmm. kaiju fans, they set up a, a sort of Earth Defence Force, mm-hmm. which probably means nothing to nobody. Yeah. If you know what I mean. So, <laughs> ooh, I don't exactly. I wouldn't know where to start. But I mean, Kamiyama's like, like I said, he's although he's not a straight man per se, he's the straightest man you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants the other inhabitants of the school to stop fighting and doing moronic things. Well, which he just caught, he says everybody hates a moron all the time, yeah, doesn't he? They're all imbeciles, much. which they are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all of them are like, you know, as thick as two short planks. <laughs> and the poor guy has his work out, work cut out for him. Um, he's best friends with Maida, this uh, kind of blonde haired kid who's like really put upon. Aye. I mean, the thing about Maida is that he just basically gets used for absolutely everything, and his house gets used he's, as kind of yeah. base of operations. And there's a strange running joke with his mother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm his he looks a bit like uh, Jared Leto in Fight Club. <laughs> That's <laughs> the only way I can describe him. <laughs> but um, yeah, in, in Hayashida, this kind of uh, guy with like a in in the anime and manga, it's kind of like a, a mohawk, but in this, it's more like a top knot, I would say. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, strangely enough, in in the, the anime and manga, is um, is mohawk moves. It's like it's sentient. It keeps on flicking about all the Mooching time. About. <laughs> anyway, um, he's like really loyal, but he's but he's like really dumb. No, yeah, they're all they're all stupid ass. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's. <laughs> it's funny because all of the characters like um, a sort of. The, you know, the, even in the movie, they built the they try to like to build them up as much as possible to get a sense of the personality. But in in like a ninety odd minute film, it's not even that. It's, it's eighty it's, odd. Yeah, yeah, it's eighty odd minutes. Sorry. Yeah. It's very difficult to do that. There's a character called Freddy. And he's basically <laughs> like a he's, he looks kind of like Freddie Mercury, like a more like, muscular version of Freddie Mercury. Yeah. He, he basically walks around and like just trousers and braces. Aye. And leather. Um, we may add. <laughs> In the um, in the manga, he looks a lot like Hagar from Final Fight because he's a lot more muscular than right, like, like a real actor yeah, would yeah. be because he's obviously like, kind of exaggerated. Uh-huh. Um, he's portrayed in like a more realistic way in the movie. He's supposedly based on Freddie Mercury, um, but he's he's not really painted in the other versions as being gay. Right, just a bit camp. But there's but, like, a couple, well, couple of lines. There's a couple of throwaway there's a couple of, lines. There's a couple in of the lines movie. in the movie that suggest that he is gay. Now, yeah. One of them, there's a subtitle that pops up on the screen that introduces him that says Freddy Hard Gay. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been lost in no, translation. The funny thing is, though, is if you notice, when all the, the characters get introduced, Kanji appears on the screen and it tells you their age. Right. But when Freddy appears on screen, um, the, the subtitle describing him comes after that, and it doesn't even seem to be like subtitle in any dialogue. Right. So I don't know if that's just a choice of, of Media Blasters who subtitled it like to, stick to that in. It, it didn't in. seem like it was meant yeah. to be there, which is weird. Odd. And there's also another bit where um, one of the characters is being sniffed by Freddy and he said he he says like in a kind of worried voice, the queen is sniffing me. <laughs> 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 which could be a reference to sexuality or could be a reference to Queen Freddie Mercury again. Which is another bizarre <laughs> thing. I mean, like the characters in the film, they're all high school students. Some of them look like they're well in their thirties. Yeah, it's... but I, I think that that um, that might be kind of intentional because some of the characters yeah. look older in uh, in the uh, manga too. I love the mm-hmm. way that Freddie has a theme. Whenever he appears on screen, it's like has this guitar riff, like yeah, as he strides around the corridors. And also, as characters, we've got a gorilla. Yes, 
And uh, we've got a robot. Yeah, Megazawa. Megazawa, yeah. Megazawa is a great character um, in the <laughs> manga and anime series. When we it's say fantastic. robot, we mean a dustbin. Yeah, he's basically <laughs> he's kind of like an old-fashioned Japanese tin toy robot. Yeah, with claws. Uh huh. Um, and he has like a kind of flip-top lid head. Yeah, which they find cats inside and all sorts. <laughs> That's when he's possessed by a cat. <laughs> exactly. For for um, if you're scratching your head at the moment, there's an Exorcist parody. Yeah. Uh, where basically um, he seems to be possessed and they call an exorcist who he kind of like chucks across the room mm-hmm. and the exorcist kind of like crawls out the room covered well, in green goop Yeah, and he's like either dies or sort of falls unconscious he's not really sure which no he just, he just put back up at the end yeah yeah he does put back yeah. that's right um, and so instead of calling an exorcist they call an electrician instead who finds a cat inside <laughs> who finds a cat inside his head <laughs> which Freddy put Freddy there. found yeah, yeah. <laughs> because Freddy's mum wouldn't let him have oh, the cat that's right so he stuck him in like his head <laughs> a very surreal and Megazawa saves, saves a day he does because eventually there's an alien invasion just to add everything else and an invasion by uh, by gorilla aliens who recall the aliens in uh, Terror of Mechagodzilla yes yes because yeah, yeah. there's ape men in Terror of Mechagodzilla if you haven't seen that particular Godzilla so, movie so Gori the space ape yes Gori and La yeah La <laughs> uh, yeah and it's just that's... waggy indeed uh, it would be like uh, no no words fail <laughs> it's really low budget like it is very much so I mean going back to Megazow we haven't talked about his character very oh, much alright I mean, sorry yeah the robot yeah. he's like a robot tough guy basically and he's like looked up to every everyone in the class looks up to him he really comes um, in sort of halfway through doesn't he yeah. or seems to, mm-hmm. seems to anyway. I think that's a bit of a mistake actually because he's quite an important character in the manga I, I, if I was directing the film I probably would have put him in a lot earlier there's a little cameo appearance from his brother Betazawa shortly afterwards, who's like a tiny little robot. Yeah. And um, you know, it seemed like a bit of a mistake to introduce them both together as well. Like, you know, he, he came later in the series. Um, but nobody seems particularly taken back by the fact that he's a robot. And there was actually a whole episode and chapter of the uh, manga and anime about this, where there's a gag where everyone keeps on Kamiyama or another characters keep on thinking that somebody's going to mention that he's a robot and nobody's weirded out by that. Because mm-hmm. he keeps on saying things like, um, hang on a second, there's something we've got to address. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, starts to get in a pause where they're really, really listening, like, hang on, there's every word. And then, then they say something that's totally not what they thought yeah. they were going to say. <laughs> that's like a running joke. Well, it's a bit like, it's a huge <laughs> sort of like five, ten minute gag about uh, Kamiyama trying to get them all to stop smoking. Yeah. And, and he kind of does right, that we'll, sort of... We'll, Demonstration, yeah, by stuffing the really moronic with the most moronic character in schools like face full of cigarettes, cigarettes, and then they say, "All right, we'll, we'll give this up out. until Freddie walks past with a cigar." So they all start smoking cigars, and then they say somebody eating a banana, so they all start eating loads of bananas, and then until that's they just, come a crop of bice, uh, yeah, on the peels. there's a, a good old fashioned <laughs> banana slip gag. Um, <laughs> there's a character, uh, there's a character called Sakeshi Hikuto. Now, um, Hikuto no Ken is the name of. Uh, the um, manga anime Fist of the North Star. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Hakuto Shinken is the martial art in it, so I think I think that could actually be like a reference to that. Which which character was that? Was that the big blonde guy? It's the um, it's the it's the black haired guy with the white uniform. Oh right, yes. You know, and yes. he, he has like an assistant, and he basically says that he's he's like a gang boss who takes over rival high schools. He's kind of sort of stereotypical of, of, of that character because he's got the yeah. long black hair long black hair there's, and like a white uniform if like you was, those... you, you've watched or, or read too much Japanese stuff you, there's certain stereotypes that you'll see yeah. in these films that repeat themselves all the way through so mm-hmm. part of yeah. it I got but mm-hmm. if, if I'd made Claire watch it she would have just gone five minutes away she would have laughed at the start the prologue's great 
Yeah, should uh, mention the prologue. We should actually. do. Yeah, actually, go on. No, you do. Right it, so. at the start of the film, there's this funny prologue of just all these old photographs of the school, and the fact that it's been destroyed six times over the years due to in, wars. They're going to tell you about the seventh time in this. Yeah, and basically, the story it's movie. all leading up to the, to the seventh time by the end of the movie. <laughs> but, but it's the way it's done. It is quite quite yeah. subtle and quite funny because it's, it's it's just the way it kind of like um, sort of matter of factly. Yeah, yeah, the school was destroyed again. And then there was a riot. And this it's, happened. It's, that happened. Yeah. And, yep. Unfortunately, that happened again. Yeah. It's, <laughs> but it's it's quite the the way the gags sort of told is quite funny. Yeah, it is quite. It's kind of like a shaggy dog story. Yeah. Joke. Um. But uh, yeah, Takeshi Hikuto. I'm thinking that um, it's probably a reference to Hikuto Shinken he, or Hikuto right. no Ken, aka Fist and All Star. Um. But he's he's a gang boss, like you say. He wants to take over the school, and he's been taking over all his rival high schools. And he, he kind of feeds them this bizarre story about the fact that his dad's like the shadow prime minister. Uh-huh. And how in order to defeat his kind of evil father, <laughs> he's, he's going to like take, he's going to basically um, form this kind of fighting force. And they all form, the as far as I mentioned, the global defense force. Yeah. Um, and, and they the go around kind of... It's to get all the drugs off the streets. So they've got this massive warehouse full of drugs and they don't know what to do. <laughs> And then they that all end up actually... in prison. That is quite funny, that, yeah. That is quite funny. It's like, well, we should probably do something good with good with them. Well, what yeah. can we do with them? We'll give them to the poor. We'll, we'll give them to the poor. How about, how about if we give them to like, a poor kid's school or something? <laughs> something so then it just shows them getting locked up yeah. in the next scene. <laughs> but uh, it's... It's... Oh, nah. There's, you, know, you don't really see teachers in the film. Uh, that's kind of the same in the, uh, the other girls. versions as well. All girls, yes, because it's an all boys uh, yeah. high school. Um, you see other schools briefly in it, but um, like you see Destrad High, which is like the rival school. Yeah. Um, but you get you get the impression that students are just left to their own devices to fight and they like, cause mayhem, and they basically just kind of like you know, going to a school where like teachers just can't be bothered or don't show up. Well, every, there's a running gag about where um, sort of um, what do you call it? Kamiyama turns up <laughs> and it always says hello, and there's nobody in the class, and nobody turns up until sort of midday. Yeah. And that, Hayashida comes like you know, sort of a he's generally late, but he comes like kind of after like Kamiyama, but not like yeah. ridiculously late. But he's always still berating them for not being on time. Uh, <laughs> it's peculiar. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that I would. Well, I don't know. I would think the anime would be a lot make yeah, a lot more sense. It does. It does. I mean, yeah. the thing is, you've got a lot more time to like kind of get used to the characters and gags and things, and it's just a lot more information drip fed through, and the pacing's better. Um, I mean, I suppose it's like it's like ten sort of little vignettes yeah. strung together. This, what it this is. is so yeah. I mean, if you think just... that the the anime series has like five minute episodes, and it uh-huh. is like you know, it's very kind of basic animation. It's all about gags, and you know, it's not like you know they've they've, they've you know they're not going to like spend like a huge budget on like animating just like sort of silly vignettes of like comedy, really. No, I know, but it's it is like a fun series, and I de- definitely recommend anyone. But how many scenes material. of them walking along where you could just see they're just walking on the spot? <laughs> I don't know if I had any relevance or not, but uh, or the, the uh, money maybe. But there's you know a great, I mean? um, there's a great uh, song from uh, Gory the Space Ape, which is just really silly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Fraser also mentioned uh, there's a plot about an alien invasion by uh, by space girls and yeah, the apes of the stu- the apes of the, the apes like um, when they invade, they turn like the students of Cromarty into like the into the slaves. Yeah, sort of little Shaolin monks, aren't they? Yeah, they basically with put these, daily boppers on. They put these like mind control devices that look yeah. like daily boppers or an antennae, whichever way you want to look at it. Aye. Um and the the more moronic the student, like the better the mind control <laughs> yeah. works, and they're all thick as hell, so it works really well. 
But there's this like scene of like a training montage where they're all sort of like like um doing like cat and sort of yeah like, it's all like stuff. it's not off a Shaw Brothers stuff yeah, isn't it? yeah. exactly it's like all the seventies Shaw Brothers epics and there's just this mint bit where this this guy's like flicking um he's flicking his sort of shirt around like he's using it as a weapon oh. and then he just kind of neatly folds in and puts it in line and walks yeah. away. Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it just does it so fluidly. It's like really funny. Uh, it's um, it's a peculiar film, and uh, unless you've got a really a pretty good sort of understanding yeah. of Japanese pop culture, mm-hmm. you're going to be totally lost. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I've got to mention one of my favourite gags in the film is um, uh-huh. <laughs> Masked Takanuchi. He's basically this character whose face you never see and well, you, you eventually see it later in the film, which is the gag. Or just the guy who just can't remember whether he's got the mask on or mask <laughs> yeah. off. Yeah. Because <laughs> basically all the way through the movie, he's he's he's, uh, he's standing in the school like, uh, and he's got this mask on, which is like a luchador mask yeah, uh-huh. over his face. And then there's a scene where he turns up to help them at a, at a pivotal scene where mm. they're about to go and fight the aliens. And nobody knows who he is. And then it's like, who are you again? Uh, yeah. And then there's this kind of flashback earlier that morning and he's like, and he's sort of thinking back to like leaving the house so that he left his mask, so that the mask on, and he's just like, "Oh shit," because oh, <laughs> no one's ever seen his face. <laughs> One thing um, I also have to mention is um, uh-huh. there's a character called uh, Nobu- Nobuo Yamaguchi from Destrad High, which is like the rival high school, right? And he's an absolutely brilliant character in the uh, the manga, but they really underused him in the film. I felt because mm-hmm. he's like he's obsessed with comedy. Yeah, and he's watching this like really unfunny kind of like bit comedy series called Putan, where these two guys wear suits. So he's yeah, kind of yes. Silly like sort of like comedy like animal suits, and um, he just doesn't get it. And he's like, and he's trying to figure out why it's so popular. Uh-huh. And that's like a very that's like a, that is like in the um, in the original like show and uh, in manga, but um, there's a lot like there's there's really good storylines involving him. <laughs> yeah, Fraser just find those guys out. On the they books. are on the cover, actually. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's a really good storyline involving him. And like I say, he's obsessed with comedy. And he, he he takes like comedy really seriously. And when anyone tries to be funny, he doesn't like it. It's kind of like the steel in his thunder. Right. And there's there's this absolutely amazing like um, <laughs> little sort of uh, short story where he has like a rival because he has a radio show, and his rival like has a radio show as well. And they're both known under pseudonyms, and he actually knows. The guy in real life, but doesn't realize it, and they're like kind of battling each other, and it's actually Kamiyama, like Kamiyama's alias is Honey Boy, and he's basically like a sort of uh, rival comedian, and he's kind of going to like he's because he he kind of hangs out Cromarty sometimes, uh-huh. uh, and he's sort of like he's like friends with Kamiyama, but he doesn't realize he's a rival. That it's, that would have been a much better fit mm-hmm. in the film I felt, and um, just a little reference I've got to mention as well, right. Is that at the end, Megazawa transforms into a big laser cannon? He does, yeah, to save the school from and the aliens. Exactly, and a lot of people, you know, who maybe aren't that familiar with Japanese culture, might think, oh, well, that's probably a reference to some giant robot anime or, or manga or mm. something. But actually, the the look of the cannon, it seems like a reference to the to the to the anime, animated film, The Iron Giant, the oh, American right. film from yeah, nineteen ninety nine. Because um, the canon looks exactly the same as in that movie. I've never seen that, so yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take... I mean, if um, if you're not familiar with that film, I've just kind of spoiled the ending for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll spoiler tag the Iron Giant too. <laughs> the twist is, is he is although he's a sort of friendly, nice giant, he was actually a weapon. Yeah, made uh-huh. for destruction, but the kid didn't know that. <laughs> but yeah, it must be a homage to the film. So I'm thinking that the director must read really like that movie or something, because the canon is like. 
designed exactly the same. It charges up in the same way in the beam and everything. Right, right. And it has the same kind of like uh, tele, like like sort of um, telescopic neck type of thing. Like, right. a, well, like a snake. Neck. Uh-huh, yeah, like a sort of articulated neck. Yeah, thing. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. but yeah, because you know when when he when he first sort of transforms, or when I first watched the film. I thought, oh, maybe this is some kind of like uh, ro- like robot show reference, but no. no. It's as soon as I saw it, I was like, bloody hell! It's <laughs> <laughs> well, that is um, bonkers film. <laughs> Craig loves it. I wouldn't say I love it. I mean, I love. Oh, these, right, right. I love the manga and the anime, but right. I think the film is a little bit flawed. You're right. I would say that uh, <laughs> <laughs> because, like a lot of these films, I mean, I think that's it's a problem with a lot of manga and anime adaptations is that there's not enough time. No. To get all the stuff in. I mean, no. you think that a lot of these series are long-run series. That's true, yeah. And uh, But I think that they could have made this a lot more accessible than most. I mean, obviously, the humour is, is like a struggling point. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with Japanese culture, you're not going to get it. But even if, you, if you're familiar with some Japanese culture and not necessarily the stuff that is kind of parodied in that in this, yeah, it would still have been accessible if they'd spent, if the pacing was better and spent the right amount of time setting up the characters in that in the right way mm-hmm. it would have just been a comedy that anyone could enjoy off. yeah you don't you wouldn't necessarily need lead like some of the sort of backstory stuff but really this is in a niche of a niche of a niche yes <laughs> big niche yeah but we were we were looking at like um theme and like trying to figure out like uh films to sort of fit in and i thought it would kind of be a good fit yeah but um you know it is it it's is a high a school movie it is a difficult film to summarize well <laughs> yeah definitely as no doubt you'll have found out by listening to this <laughs> All right, we better sign off before we get kicked off. Exactly. Okay, we're going to move on now to the hot button topic of violence in schools with Mark L. Lester's Class of 84, a 1982 cult classic. Film follows Mr. Norris as he starts a new job teaching music at Mm -hmm. Lincoln High, um, which is a school packed with gun toting teachers and violent gangs. And what follows involves stabbings, murders, gang fights, rapes, negative drug experiences, arson, <laughs> home invasion, vandalism, lessons at gunpoint, orchestral recitals, pudding bowl haircuts, <laughs> bad Alice Cooper songs, and tons of graffiti. <laughs> that's our list. I think that sums, that sums up the film. I think that's it a review does. done, really. I'll just end it there. <laughs> yeah, we will. <laughs> No, seriously though. Um, Who's in it, Craig? Come on, tell us. Um, Perry King uh, plays Mr. Norris. Um, mm-hmm. He's the sort of protagonist of the film and the main teacher who suffers, and boy does he suffer. He does, yeah. At the hands of uh, Stegman's gang, which brings us nicely to Stegman, uh, the main antagonist of the film, is played by uh, Timothy Van Patten. Um, we've got Roddy McDowell as Terry Corrigan, mm-hmm. who's a bit of a fractured teacher who's on the He's on, on the, the edge. Yeah, yeah, on the verge, on the edge. <laughs> as, yeah. as we see in one, one infamous team scene, which we'll get to later. Um, and Michael J. Fox plays Arthur, and, Arthur. and I know it's a bit of an old man name. Yeah, it is, yeah. He's got a terrible pudding basin haircut. We maybe we'll talk about that later yeah. as well. But um, it's funny because he doesn't really have a lot to do in this film, but he still does quite. He does quite well. He gets stabbed he, well. Well, he does. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think he did. And my point is, I think he did well with the material that he, that he had. He did. Yeah. Um, but the background, going going in the background of the movie a little bit more. Um, Mark Lester, who wrote and directed the film, mm-hmm. he was also responsible for the Anti Vehicle Commando. Oh, there you go. Which we've all enjoyed over the years. Uh-huh. Oh, many, many times. <laughs> Especially its continuity. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, he's he's you know he's he's good at what he at the sort of genre that he works in. You know, the kind of um, is 
it was classed as a bit of an exploitation film. And and the thing is, is I think that some of the cast, judging judging by the documentary watch, weren't very happy about that. Well, to me, it's it's a complete Roger Corman film. Mm. For a fact, I was very surprised it wasn't New World Pictures or whatever the whatever it was then in 1982 when it was made, uh, or 81, 82, whenever it was. But when I first watched it, I thought it's got to be a Roger Corman film, but it wasn't. It's an independent film. It has Shot, that sort of flavour to it. Yeah, oh, it definitely feels like a, like a sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a sort of common film here, AIP, whatever it was then, like I said. Um, but again, it was shot in Canada, which was Dublin for sort of middle America or something. Yeah. Or, I'm not exactly mm-hmm. LA, but definitely middle America. I think you mentioned Chicago in the document. Is it right? So yeah. it's meant, meant Could, to sort of. Well, he said it wasn't specific, but it's a city like he, he wanted to look, have that sort of look. Yeah, you know. but I mean, it's it could never be anything but an exploitation film. Yeah. I mean, I remember like the the poster. I think the ad line was something like "We are the future, and nothing can stop us." And I do remember seeing the poster back in the day. Mm-hmm. I remember having magazines where it had it in. It's like, oh wow, that looks awesome, and it's a great tagline. Yeah, um, and it's like it's got quite sort of pop art style poster, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was quite like, well, like comic well, comic book style. Well, yeah, the, the the British quad was quite yeah. sort of like looked like full on, and it was on the back of all the gang films like. Uh-huh. The warriors and whatnot mm. and, and and things like that. Speaking so of um, speaking of when it was first brought to your attention, uh, when was it the UFOs first saw the film? I didn't see the film. I think probably when I bought. I didn't know. I never watched it on V. I don't think I saw it on VHS. I think it's when I, I got the Anchor Bay uh, DVD back mm-hmm. about well, it was nearly ten years ago now. I think it was middle it was of the nineties. I think I think that um, it was the nineties when I first saw it on a, uh-huh. pirate, on a pirate copy because. It, the time it was unavailable in the UK, we discussed this earlier mm-hmm. before we started recording. It's um, I don't think it was on the original kind of band list, which anyone who knows about the video nasties era will know that there was a there was a band list of. Uh, I think a lot of people think it is, but I don't think it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, either either way, it wasn't widely available at one point at no. the time that I was that I wanted to watch it. Uh-huh. And I'd I think I read about it in Neon, which was a cult film magazine in the nineties. Right. Um, and it was in a list of um, of sort of like teenage films or sort of like uh, or cult, cult films, something like that. And it sounded really interesting. And I, I picked it up for the back of that, but I had to get a pirate copy because, like I say, it wasn't um, it wasn't readily available. Mm-hmm. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I I was a teenager at the time, and I was into like punk and rock and stuff like that. And it was uh, it was just a film with a lot of energy, and it was kind of um, you know I, I liked you know like a lot of kids at that time you know, seeking out. Films that they probably shouldn't be watching. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it is a violent movie. Uh-huh. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, the thing is, is that it's not a gory film. You know, it's not like sort of gore and grue and all that. It's more, uh, you know, just a lot of violence. You don't see blood flying everywhere, but no. it's it's got a lot of like confrontation. It's proper and... like gang film, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And there's a gang fight early on where yeah. one gang's hitting another with planks, planks and pieces of uh, wooden metal and stuff like that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> chains, chains wrapped around fists, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> we should add that uh, all the gang members, all the school kids, all look like they're in the mid twenties, which I think is classic in films. Well, like it this. is. That's the American cinema all over, isn't it? You yeah. Know, in American TV, we've all we've always got people playing who are you know twenty odd and sometimes pushing thirty, playing teenagers. Mm-hmm. So sometimes quite youthful looking twenty and thirty year olds, but they still are clearly above their. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the age that the well, maybe Michael, maybe Michael J. Fox might have been the right age when he made this. I'm not too <laughs> sure. <laughs> he might yeah. have been a, a teenager. I don't know. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, for you was. one thing I will say: the version we watched is 
the approved version by the director and not mm -hmm. the fully uncut version. Evidently, yes. if you want the fully uncut version, you'd have to go to Germany to get those extra 17 seconds, which will make all the difference. Um, <laughs> was it 17 or was it a bit less than that? 17 seconds, exactly according to, to what, what I researched yeah. on, on the on Tinterweb. Southern Craig, yeah, what do you reckon? Did you like the film after I watching did. it again? I really did, and I think that um, it has um, stood the test of time pretty well. There's a few things you know, that um, that are wrong with it, but overall, it's it's nicely paced. It's, uh, it's really well acted. There's some really good performances in it, uh, which maybe we should address it a further down the line uh, but but for the most part yes I very much did and my major issue I'd say with it is the soundtrack now we talked about the fact that they're a gang of punks yeah and that uh, there's there are scenes in a club where they're all slam dancing and you know, you've got like, your kind of typical sort of like post Ramones type punk playing uh -huh. um, and that's fine you know that really fits in with the ethos of the film but the Alice Cooper song at the beginning of the movie just doesn't fit does it really oh no it's terrible that's yeah. really bad it, I don't. I've got nothing against the man. You know, he's a big contribution to rock and everything. But it, it's the wrong sort of. It's the wrong type of rock music for the film. It's even if they didn't use punk, there could have been something a lot more suitable. Well, I mean, the thing is, that's one of. The, I think we're on the poster. It said, you know, with with theme song by Alice Cooper, and you think you see a title like Class of Nineteen Eighty Four, you see Alice Cooper, you think schools, you think out. schools out, and it's not what you're going to get. So that no. was a disappointment. It immediately as soon as the titles come on, they plaster it over the screen in huge letters. Theme song by Alice Cooper. Yeah. And you're just thinking, it, it even before. I mean, well, I sat down and watched it uh, with Lindsay the other night, and even before we did seen any of the real film, she said that doesn't really fit, and and we didn't even know anything about the characters at that point. <laughs> so that already tells you that if somebody who's never seen the film before can tell you at that stage that it's it's not quite right for the film. It's really not quite right for the film before we've even had Mr. Norris speak a line of dialogue. Uh huh. <laughs> it's, it's ruined already. <laughs> It hasn't ruined the film, but, but it's it, just no, a bad it, choice. No, it hasn't, but it was yeah. a bad choice. But going back to you know the uh, enjoyment of the film, it's it's a nicely paced film and it rattles along and it's it's very well done in that regard. Um, Mr. Norris is a very sympathetic character. Mm -hmm. and we start with him. Um, I believe he's in his car traveling to work in the very first shots of the of the film, and then we're introduced to Terry Corrigan, played by Rodney McDowell. Yeah, um, and there's immediately they strike up the relationship don't they mm -hmm. they become quite quite close over a short space of time seemingly and you know he can he confides and Terry confides in him about the fact he's lost control of his kids and there's quite an emotional scene where he's, he's kind of bearing his soul and saying I just can't reach out to them I can't I can't get to them and it's you know I feel like I failed um, and let's face it if you were faced with these kids <laughs> that that's uh <laughs> You wouldn't really be able to feel like any other way, would you? No, no, no. <laughs> there are the proper little horrors. I mean, um, when I watched the film, I was like, <sighs> so maybe some problems I got with, with gang films. Um, the film's only as good as what the gang is. Yes. You know what I mean? And for the most part, the gang, which is sort of four principal members, mm -hmm. uh, three guys and a girl, mm -hmm. um, all of them sort of good characters apart from the lead character played by Timothy Van Patten who's just too pretty too well dressed <laughs> the others are punks he's just he's 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 out with bloody new romantics I reckon <laughs> well that's that's true a lot of the shirts he wears not that yeah yeah <laughs> blues I think that he is a good character in in the way that he's written you know like he has some he has some good lines and stuff and he's you know he is he does have a presence and he is a good actor oh yeah yeah. But he, he does seem like quite a sort of well-to-do kid from a posh background. 
he doesn't really fit in with the rest of them, which seem like they're really from the wrong side of the tracks. It doesn't have. It just doesn't have the weight to do it. I'll, I'll liken this to another film called uh, Bronx Warriors, where the lead character in that <laughs> is just uh, just miscast, and he, <laughs> he minces about. Not that this character particularly minces about, but there's a bit they do go to this punk rock gig and that, and then he jumps up on stage and he's giving everybody the finger. And he does and seem a bit out so of place, out of he? place, yeah. Because everyone else was, you know, the, a lot of the extras in that were were all like real punks and really slam dancing, and it's quite a good scene, you know, it's well shot. Yeah. And um, but he's the talent; the, he's not going to get involved. Yeah. <laughs> and all of the other principal gang members really are quite threatening, and no, he he does have a presence and some intense oh, scenes. Yeah, he does have some good scenes. So yeah. that's not to undermine any of Timothy Van Patten's performance. He is good in the film as a whole. Mm-hmm. But you just don't believe that he's this kind. You don't always believe that he's this kind of anarchistic. I just want to see the world. <laughs> yeah, destroyed sort he, of character. You he know? hides behind his mum at one point. He and does, it's just yeah. Like, Come on, which is pretty cowardly. Yeah, because really, there's a scene where Norris comes to confront him. Yeah, and he's basically like, "Get him out of here, mum!" You know, get mm-hmm. him, get him out of the film. And then once his mum's shooed him off, he gets on the intercom and threatens him. After his mum's already stepped in between the two. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like the scene where he's giving people the finger and jumping up on stage and like you know sort of jumping about, he just he doesn't have that kind of same. You can tell he's trying to play punk. Yeah, rather, rather than he being, actually is. Yeah. And the other ones really are believable in that sort of role. You know, they they quite they are quite threatening, especially um, you know later in the film when things get a bit heated. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have a lot of uh, presence and they're kind of scary. The the kind of big burly guy who just sort of. Picks Norris up above his head and chucks him. Yeah, out. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been it's been called a prophetic film because of you know the fact that school violence now, um, you know, it, it's it it, is people up, up at the time thought it was very over the top. Yeah, well, but that's that's that, that's what exactly. Yeah, what it exactly. Was. That's yeah. exactly what he was aiming for. I mean, yeah. there's there's a little title card at the beginning that says most schools aren't like Lincoln High yet. Yet, yeah. I mean, um, I, I know at the start of the film, there's, they've got the metal detector, and I mean, I think yes, that is... that is a feature in many US high schools. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was then, but certainly... Probably not at the time. Yeah, uh-huh. but, but, you know, I think in Mark Lester, he, he comes across in the documentary as a little bit of a bullshit merchant. Right. <laughs> and, and I think he, he likes to think that he prophesied this, like he's some yeah. kind of mystic... He just he chanced it, basically. But he's probably yeah. done a bit of research and thought, oh, yeah. right, I mean, things are going that way. Some so. of the, some of the, don't get us wrong, I mean, some of the stories came, some of the uh, inspiration for the film came from real stories he read in the newspaper. Right. The main one being that a teacher had a bit of a breakdown and brought a gun to class. Right. Which leads us into a famous scene with Terry Corrigan, um, Roddy McDowell, um, having a breakdown in class after they push him a bit too far. Uh huh. And he's by... going around asking him questions to, yeah. people to see if they get the right answers at gunpoint, which is an awesome scene. It is. It is good. It's... It is really good. And anyone who's familiar with his work knows that he often plays quite eccentric characters, and he's good at good at sort of playing some of these a bit starry eyed. He's very sympathetic it? character yeah, though, as well. And I mean, I think they used that image not for the US one sheet. I think I believe mm-hmm. yeah, um, where for he's... ways. The gun at there's a teacher at the front of the school and, he, and he's got got a hold of a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's actually in the inlay of the DVD it box. Is, yes, I've got it. Got yeah, here. yeah. There's uh, old Roddy pointing pointing <laughs> a gun and nobody in particular, but yeah, uh-huh, to a, a class full of uh, punks. Absolutely, <laughs> and he's he really has been pushed pretty far at that point. He's a biology teacher and all his animals have been slaughtered. Yeah, and um, he and just, he's an alcoholic. And he's an alcoholic, as previously established. Yeah. He's, he's bringing, not only is he bringing in a gun, but he's bringing in his hip flask as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he, is a, he is a very good character in this. I think that um, the relationship between him and Norris is quite well done. Yeah. 
you know, you, you get some uh, you get some good scenes where he's showing his support to him. Norris does everything he, in his power to sort of keep him on the level. And then there's the scene where he gets the gun out. He says, "I'll talk to him," mm-hmm. and he goes in and sort of you know saves, tries to saves, talk him down. Saves the day, yeah. But uh, not before he does actually you know go to pull the trigger at a kid oh, and do, the, gun, shoot the gun's the gun, pulled yeah. upwards out of the uh, way and but yeah it's uh but things escalate very quickly in the film it's it's got a quite short run time you know it's we were talking about the running time in movies earlier on and it's got a proper running time of 90, yeah. 90 minutes or whatever but yeah, yeah. And, you know there's a lot of films these days that have a lot of padding and you sort of you know feel like there's a lot of extraneous stuff just chucked into the mix um whereas nothing's wasted in this film well, it's a like it's a proper low budget exploitation film mm. and it, it it knows what it wants to do um, it, it's got all the prerequisites of an exploitation film. Yeah, absolutely. Bit of nudity, bit of drugs, bit of violence. Mm-hmm. You name it. Yeah, absolutely. And going into the violence a little bit, you know, we've got um, as as I think I previously mentioned, it's not a, you know, it's not an overtly sort of violent film, and it's not gory. It's just well, well, there's one. Well, there's one yeah, scene. Yeah, there's one, there's scene, one yeah. scene. One infamous scene. Um, much a bit a bit later in the film, but for the most part, it's you know people getting hit. Um, over the head with like various objects and people being punched and you know there's a, and obviously the into bit, stabbing Michael yeah. J. Fox oh, gets, gets violently quite, stabbed yeah I mean that's almost like a prison movie yeah it is like, yeah. it's kind of in the canteen shanked in the canteen yeah, yeah. Um, but um, in terms of the gang they are quite they, we, we talked about the fact that they're pretty good actors they were they were, they were all well cast mm-hmm. I think that um, you mentioned that uh, the girl who plays we, we talked about earlier prior, prior to the podcast the girl who plays Patsy you know she she's she's pretty but she's not too sort of good looking for the like the role. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. The she's you know she's got sort of multicolored hair and kind of you know they punked her up a bit. And mm-hmm. I think you know there are there are some gang films where you've got like uh, maybe a female character is a bit more sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not sympathetic oh, no, at all. I mean she actually assists in in the rape in one infamous scene. Yeah. I mean she's take, taking photographs the, of what's uh-huh. happening, which makes it just as unsympathetic as you can get. Exactly. Um, and taunt and also taunts Mr. Norris with the photograph of what's happened to his wife, which you know any kind of illusions you had about it being like sort of second fiddle in the gang and not taking an active role are just like gone yeah. by that point. I mean the the whole gang they're all nasty pasties for want of a better word. <laughs> but Stegman, the lead guy, the lead gang member, he's sort of like he is he's intelligent. He can play the piano because yes, uh, yeah. I mean the the, the um. The Perry King character is a music teacher, mm-hmm. and um, there's one bit that that Stegman gets to play the piano, and he, he knocks out this fantastic little tune, which apparently and was Timothy Van Patten's own composition. For real, because he's properly properly playing it as yeah. well. Yeah, well, fair play to him. Um, but I mean, all the way through, um, the character, the, the the teacher, sort of says, "Oh, this kid, you know, like he, he is intelligent, but you know, just obviously." He says, he's, he's too he busy says making to money. Terry, you know, the, the crazy thing is he's he's actually probably quite brilliant. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, that definitely get, comes across in the film. I and mean, he's devious mm-hmm. as well. But um, There yeah. is the um, famous scene where he, where he smashes his own head into a mirror and then proceeds to keep on hitting himself till he's bloodied. And then manages to get the blood on... On, on Norris's on face. On Norris's, To blame yeah. it on him. And it's... Which that might, is... Just like I remember, like Fight Club, and you thought Fight Club was original, but uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, that's quite a long time ago, and it, yeah, I think that um, Lester does sort of take credit in the documentary saying that's the first time somebody had seen this sort of thing before. And you know, obviously, the the authorities don't well, sorry, not it's not the authorities, but the the, te- the uh, head doesn't believe him, he thinks it's a preposterous story, yeah. 
and the the cops kind of well, I don't know, you know, it's it seems unlikely, but given what some of these kids are capable of. Oh, I'll just chip in there. The cops played by Al Waxman, who any Cagney and Lacey fan will know is uh, their chief. But anyway, sorry, you were saying, Craig. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying that, um, you know, it, it, he, he does sort of, he does kind of think it's probably unlikely, but given what the kids are capable of and what he's seen. And Mark Lester said that he took some of that cops, that dialogue verbatim from an actual interview that he had about how quite often they commit these crimes in the back on the street and there's nothing they can do. They're just in and out by the system. And he said he just wrote that down, and it's almost as he said it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that cop was really frustrated by some things that were happening at the time, and just a system where there were where there were miners, and they were just like ship them in, ship them out, you know. So, summing up, do you think it's? Did you enjoy it? You're going to give it a thumbs up. You're going to give yeah, it a mark out of ten. Yeah. What would you give it out of ten? Mm, that's perhaps an eight. Yeah. For me, yeah. The the soundtrack. Um, with few issues with the soundtrack kind of uh, there's an inappropriate there's a very inappropriate piece of music not just the Alice Cooper theme there's a scene where the um, wife is asking him to stop teaching and he's, she's concerned that he might end up um, you know severely hurt and and it's got this really cheesy kind of uh, music that's totally inappropriate to it's it's kind of it's aiming for dramatic but it's a bit overwrought and it just right. and that. Um, so you think he's trying to reach out yeah. with the exploitation gutter, but he should yeah, just absolutely. stick with it. Yeah. I think it would have been alright silent. But that, that slightly damages it for me. But overall, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the film. And I really like going, going back and watching it again. It's it's uh, definitely um, one that held, holds the the attention all the way through, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I enjoyed it. Maybe not as much as you. Um, when I've been thinking about it, I would recommend that people should seek out Suburbia. Mm. by Penelope Spheris that came out in about 1986 that's a proper punk gang film uh-huh. it's not sort of like classroom violence but there's all sorts going on in there but that's a bit more sort of gritty a bit more real mm. um, I don't know if time's been good to this film yeah you can, say it's, it, you can say it's been prophetic in that and it's it is it's very entertaining but I'm I'm sort of I'm thinking about it I'll give it a 6 yeah and I can't believe Stegman didn't know what an amphibian was <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for another episode. Thanks again for joining us for another installment of Videodrome.